Hey guys, before we get started, two pieces of business. Modern Mail is getting released as an album thanks to 800 Pound Gorilla, and uh, the release date is July 7th. But today and until then, it uh, the entire album will be streamed in its entirety. I think that's how you say it. On Pandora. So if you have Pandora, even if you don't have a Pandora account, you can go to Pandora and stream the entire album. Uh, thanks to them for doing that. Yeah? Yeah. And then the whole thing's available July 7th if you'd like to purchase it. It's the same recording that's on YouTube, except it's the audio version. And now it's going to get played on SiriusXM and Pandora and eventually Spotify. Spotify, you're coming in later. You're coming in probably July 7th. But until then, Pandora's the way. Thank you, Pandora. They also pay the artists the most. So, hell yeah, Pandora. Uh, Oklahoma City, as far as I know, this is still on. I still have my flight, and I'm still going. I'm nervous about it. But it's happening. July 2nd and 3rd, I am in Oklahoma City at the Bricktown Comedy Club. Uh, three shows, one on the 2nd, two on the 3rd, and I get to come home and spend uh, 4th of July here at home. I think that's it. I think that's all I have to plug. Uh, go, if you want to support me, go to YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube page. Look into being a member. There's three tiers of membership. One is well, two bucks or a buck ninety nine. The other one is four ninety nine, and the last one is ten nine ninety nine. Thank you for all the uh, people at the cat person level, which is the nine ninety nine a month level. Thank you for your support. I'll be reading off the names later. But enough of that. Enough jibber jabber. We got a lot to get to. It was a bad week for comedians. I'm just looking at my notes here. We got Delia, Hughley, Jimmy Kimmel, and Trump. It was a rough day for comedians. A rough week for comedians. Statues. Ugh. Twitter's fun until you start trending. Anyway, let's hit the music. Let's hit the music. This week in And action. All right, we're in. Welcome everybody. Welcome to uh, welcome to this week in Zoltan. It is episode two ninety seven, coming at you on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon, June twenty third. We'll, we're 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 still alive. We're living. We're living and we're breathing. Some of us are doing it with a mask. It's a different world out there, but it's still. It's still the world. I don't know. It still feels like we're alive. I had a moment. I went to go get coffee the other day, and uh, a dude at the coffee shop that was also waiting for a drink was watching a video on his phone, full volume, which usually uh, I'm for capital punishment in those situations. Off with their head, drag them through the streets so everybody learns their lesson not to do that. And just as I was about to percolate, and get to my maddest, that's when I turned and looked at him, and he was wearing a mask. He was wearing a mask, and I was no longer mad at him. I was like, all right, he's not the devil. Wear your mask, everybody. Don't be that guy stumbling into a Walmart trying to shove a minimum wage employee to the ground. He doesn't want to be there either. You don't want to be there. It's Walmart. No one's excited to go to Walmart. If you're excited to go to Walmart, then you're sad that NASCAR got rid of the Confederate flag. No one's excited to go to Walmart, whether you work there, whether you shop there, whether you're just parking there to go to the restaurant next door. Which, by the way, what restaurant is next door to a Walmart? Let Panera go. Whatever it is. My point is, put your mask on. 
put your mask on. It's not an infringement on your uh, civil liberties. It's not. It's not the same as having a cop tackle you or tase you. Or, or your freedom of speech is still there. Even though we can't read your lips. You just gotta yell it louder. You gotta yell it through the cloth. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. This isn't what uh, people came over on the Mayflower for. That's not why. That's not why those pilgrims took their buckled boots onto some wooden rickety ship and came across the Atlantic. And that's not why they befriended the natives so we could have Thanksgiving and then so one day we could fight for our freedoms of not having to wear a mask in a Walmart to enjoy their rolled back prices. Put your mask on. Put your mask on and I'll overlook your other transgressions. Not transactions, your transgressions. Like playing videos on your phone at full volume without headphones. You're wearing a mask and I'll go, alright, you get a pass. If you weren't wearing the mask, ooh, you'd get a dirty look. But I still wouldn't say anything because I don't like confrontation. Welcome to the show, everybody. We're doing it. Uh, we got a nice different angle for the people on YouTube. I'm trying something different. Trying a little more head-on, like I'm speaking into your eyes. Is it a little aggressive? I apologize. Uh, we had uh, we had ourselves a week, didn't we? Uh, my week was good. This wasn't the best week for comedians around the country. I had a good week. All right, my, my shingles, I think, has gone away. By the way, not fully understood if that's what I had. I don't know if I had shingles, but according to my WebMD research and contrasting and comparing phone like pictures on my phone with pictures on Google of what shingles look like, I think I had shingles. Um, it feels better. It's going away. It's a little bit on the neck that's still there. I'm not going to show it to you because it's gross. I don't want this video pulled off of YouTube. Uh, but I'm feeling good. Did some stand-up over the weekend. Performed at American Comedy Company in downtown San Diego. Uh, they did the shows well. It was uh, spaced out for whatever that means. You know, they do, they're doing their best. I like an effort. There were some bars in town that had no effort. People just shoulder to shoulder, no mask, just yelling into each other's faces like there isn't the coronavirus going around. But they tried, you know, everyone was spaced out. We wore a mask going through the hallway until we got to our table. Then we take the mask off or until I got to the green room. Then we take the mask off like we're playing a game of freeze tag with the virus. And we're, we're oh no, I'm touching my table so you can't get me. I don't know what the... Uh, I don't know what the logical, I don't know what we're thinking. I don't know what, what makes us think that it's only dangerous until we get to the table at the restaurant or the table at the comedy club where then we go, and we're safe. But we're doing it. We did it. I did two sets, one Friday, one Saturday. It went well. People laughed. It's still weird. I was talking to Dustin uh, my good comedian buddy, and he was like, have you noticed that the sets have gotten worse since our first one back? And I have noticed it. Because now people are going back out to do comedy, to watch comedy, and they're excited just to be out again. They're excited to be in public again. That's how the first couple sets felt like. They're like they were just stoked to be there. But now, they're used to things being back to normal, but now the dynamic in the comedy club is still weird. For a comedy club, I've said it before on this podcast, and here it is again. You need to be close, low ceilings, tight. The exact 
atmosphere that a very contagious virus would love. That makes for the best show, but now they're trying to do it other ways. Some shows are outside, horrible for stand-up, the laughs go up, it's hard to build a rhythm. Uh, they're spacing people out, which is terrible. You're not jam-packed. Because sometimes when you're jam-packed shoulder to shoulder, some comedian will say a joke that isn't even that funny, but there's people to your left laughing, there's people to your right chuckling, and then you'll laugh because it's, you know, herd mentality. For the same reason riots sometimes break out during protests. Hey, that one guy smashed the window of that Bank of America. I'm going to go join him. It's kind of whatever the psychology is in that. That's the psychology of like needing audience members jam-packed in a comedy club shoulder to shoulder. Ha ha ha, I didn't think that was that funny, but everyone's laughing and this is contagious. As contagious as the coronavirus. So, I feel like the, sh the shows we've done since the initial run of shows back, I've noticed that audiences are missing that little piece. That little piece of excitement is gone because they're kind of getting used to things opening back up. And we need that dynamic back where people are jam-packed. So, And that's just what comedy is going to be for a while. It's just what it's going to be. But I did do my first ever virtual stand-up show. I did it. Uh, finally did it. I told you I was going to hold out on it. But I, I, I got invited. My good buddy Mal Hall uh, had, a, had a virtual stand-up show on Zoom. It was his birthday show. He goes, you should try it out, man. Come try it. And I was like, okay, I'll come try it. And you know what? It was fun. I could hear people laughing. It was still weird. I did it right here. I did stand up where I'm sitting right now. Uh, and at first, it was a little like I was going too fast. I wasn't pausing for laughter because it was. I felt like I was telling jokes in my living room. That's how the first five minutes went. And then the next 15, a lot more comfortable, slowed down a little bit. And got into a bit of a rhythm. Did a bit of crowd work because people had their mics on. Did my bits. The bits worked out. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't great either. No, you know what? It was great. I was pretty pumped. And then I went and did a set at American Comedy Company. A real set in front of people. And that was fun too. Both were almost equal levels of enjoyment. Which is good. I need to find the happiness in this, because this could be my immediate future. Doing comedy right here, right in this living room, with Jessica sleeping in the background, under a painting of my face. I'm going to have to get used to it. This is going to be life for a while, anyway. Um, <laughs> that's how it's going to be, I guess. I don't know. It was a fun weekend. Got to do stand-up. Uh, did a Zoom show. Lived life, man. And I, I, I think I was the only comedian that had a decent week last week. That's not true. There's a bunch of non-famous comedians like myself. We had good weeks. We didn't get, we didn't trend on Twitter. That's always important, man. If you're, not just if you're a comedian, if you're anybody, Twitter is fun. Twitter's fun. You put your little non-sequiturs in there, your little slice-of-life tweets, or you crap on the president, or you crap on somebody else. Twitter is a good time. Or maybe they have something trending where you're like, replace the letter in a movie title and make it sexual. And you're like, oh, I'm creative. Look at me. I came up with a pun. Points for me. How many retweets is this going to get? Twitter is fun until you trend. And then it's over. You got to burn your phone. You got to burn your phone. And then all the people that know you have to give like eulogies uh, <laughs> on their podcasts. 
or or on tweets. That's that's been my listen. I'm not one to like knock any comics, but if I've gotten any odd joy out of the thing that happened with Chris D'Elia, it's all of his like fellow friends that do podcasts giving like somber eulogies it was like they were eulogizing crystalia's career like man he was a fun hang but i can't be seen with him in public again it was so bizarre they were talking about him like a friend died like their friend died and then they were just like yeah he's worthless to me now because this is hollywood and he messed up and this friendship was superficial from go and here it is. It was just weird. I watched like, watch that. I don't need to name all the comedians. If you're in the, if you follow, they're coming up on your YouTube feed or you listen to the podcast. Everyone's talking about him like their cat died. What he did wasn't good. Stop hitting on underage girls. I I think the best thing that can be learned from Chris D'Elia's situation. Don't trust any forty year old that dresses like he's twenty. That's a great rule across the board. Whether you're a man, a woman, a child, don't just judge them. I mean, don't just not trust them in a relationshipy type setting. Don't trust them at all. I, I wouldn't trust any dude that dresses 20 years younger than he is. That's there's something. What are you hiding? What happened? What happened? Unless you were somehow in a coma for two decades and now you're trying to relive 10, 20 years of your life that you missed. There's no reason to be 40 and dress in 20. Unless you're a musician. I get it. But even then, do, your, do it your own way. Don't dress like you're a 20-year-old skateboarder when you're 40 and you tell jokes on a stage. It's weird. It just makes people suspicious. Like, it made me suspicious. Anytime I see that, I'm like, why? why? Anytime it's just a 40-year-old on stage with Jordans and those weird jeans where they're tight on the shins but then they have that baggy crotch part and then you got the giant t-shirt like you got the triple xl length t-shirt down to your knees with the jordans and the jeans but you were born in 80 i don't you know and i'm not I'm, I'm 33 man i'm 33 it's over for me i got about two more years left i got about maybe two more years left and then i can't go into like an h&m anymore or only for the suits. I got it, man. I understand. I got about two more years, if I'm honest with myself. And then I can't, like, I can't just be wearing Vans all the time. Or I gotta be wearing, like, the old people Vans. You know? Like, the van. Like, I can't be wearing any new style Vans. I can't be going to buy my jeans at the van store. Get out of there. Urban Outfitters? No longer. I need to find, like, a suburban outfitter. Something... Gets, give me some Eddie Bauer edition khakis and some sensible shoes. The old man New Balances. That's what I need. That's where it has to be. I can't just be walking around 37, 38 years old in some high tops. High tops with my skinny jeans tucked in or whatever's in style five years from now. I can't be doing that. I can't be doing that. And feel free to use this against me if I am doing that. Keep an eye on me. Slide in my DMs, make sure I'm not talking to anyone under the age of 18. Creepy, man. Creepy. I read, I read a lot of those, like I saw the screenshots. The weird thing is, 
he's so famous. Like, if we had to do, he, I guess my point is, why were you working so hard for it? He really wanted those underage girls. If those screenshots were real, which they seem to be real, based on the text messages, DMs, and emails, like the ones that really creeped me out were the ones where the girl didn't respond and he still like did the the five responses, you know, like one hour, two hours, three hours, a month later. That was the one that got me. There's some girl that didn't respond and he's like, hey, you want to come over? She didn't respond. Then an hour later, like, hi with the exclamation point and then the next day like i guess you're not coming over and then a month later he wrote like duh and i'm like uh like you can't what are you doing what are you doing you can't do that what are you dude you're famous you shouldn't be working this hard to get laid anyway you shouldn't be you shouldn't have to ask twice you just why are you coming off so desperate? Like you're not super famous. Like he, Chris D'Elia through the roof famous compared to what I am. I'm way down here. I'm like cat person level famous. And I don't work that hard to get laid. Like I'm in a relationship now, but I was single for two years. I didn't, I didn't like, <laughs> you didn't respond. What are you doing? Stop. Just hang back. That's what, by the way, always wrong to hit on girls underage but especially in in today's era stop hitting on women all right it's sadie hawkins day dance era of dating hang back hang back women will come to you that's the dynamic shift 50 years ago women were supposed to be shy and not approach guys and dudes were supposed to come up like hey there's the sock hop coming up i would I, I would really boy, I'd love to take you. And then they're like, oh, I don't know. And then you're like, you got to like ask again and then a third time. And they're like, so when am I picking you up? It's not like that anymore. Guys, we can hang back. It's Sadie Hawkins day. It's easier. You don't have to make the initial, how do you do? You just, you just, you just sit there. That's what I did for two years. I wasn't lonely. They slide into the DMs. You say hello. You just respond. That's, I, I, can you imagine at Dalia's level? My level's down here compared to Dalia. My DMs are always full. What's he doing reaching out and then following up when they don't respond? On top of the fact that they were underage. On top of the fact that they were underage. All the women that were over, you know, of legal tender, even then you should, like, what are you doing begging? Dude, you famous. Hang back. Play it cool. They reached out in the first place. They already like you. What are you doing doing the 15-year-old, <laughs> I guess you're not going to respond. You're 40 years old. You're 40. You're 40. Jimmy Carter was president when you were born, man. That guy's a walking cadaver that makes houses for the homeless now. Like, what are you doing, man? Hang back. Hang back. Act as cool as the clothes you're wearing on stage and hang back. They'll come. They'll come. Calm down. And also, stay away from the young ones. It's creepy. It's creepy, man. I've always liked dating women my age or older. I remember when I was first single. I'd been single for like a few months and I did a show somewhere. And I don't even remember. 
maybe Chicago, somewhere, and a 21-year-old, like, hit on me after the show. It was her 21st birthday. And then I think she invited me out to go have drinks with her friends, and I said no, because I felt weird about it. She's legal. She's more than legal. She's drinking legal. She's 21, but at the time I was, like, 30. 30. I was in my 30s, and I was just like, I've never liked that guy. I've never liked that guy. Maybe it was jealousy. But when I was like 21 and I saw a girl who was 21 who I wanted to go, but she was hanging out with some old guy, I was like, oh, go date someone old. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So I ended up talking myself out of that situation. And then I talked with my friends and they're like, it's legal. It's totally fine. I'm like, it still feels weird. That was the first time I talked myself out of that situation. And then after that, there was like a you know, there's like 22 and 23 year old. It still felt, I don't, I don't mesh with the young. And I'm not saying I'm that mature, but I'm old. Like I've always been in my heart five years older than I am. So when I was 21, I, uh, on a conversational level, I, I would uh, have better conversations with someone who's like 26, 27. Um, and then now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm dating someone who's 28 uh, and it's just a better can like what do you say your lives are so different who carries the conversation well with 18 year olds and I understand some sometimes people are more mature like sometimes there's 18 or 19 or 21 year olds or 22 year olds that that speak uh, like they have the knowledge of a 30 year old I get that but he was talking to multiple young and underage women what do you have in common with them how are those conversations going and why (laughs) why were those conversations going creepy man creepy now i also don't like this situation because that's a that's a youtube comment i get all the time as i get compared to chris because we both have long hair and and beards and now he has to go off and be, you know, be into the youngers. I, ugh, it's just a bad week for comedians. Chris D'Elia and then D.L. Hughley collapsed on stage in Nashville. I don't know if you saw a video of that. Poor D.L. Hughley was performing out at Zany's in Nashville. And it looked like he had a stroke. And he apparently tested positive for COVID. I don't, I don't know if COVID gave him the stroke. I was in the green room. At American Comedy Company, and and there's a comedian Jay Light, and his father is like a surgeon of some sort, and he's worked on COVID patients. Because we were talking about this, I'm like, well, it says that he has COVID on Twitter, but I don't think that's what gave him the stroke. And he goes, well, actually, it could have, because my father has operated on COVID patients, and their blood is very thick and slushy, and a stroke can happen when uh, I'm gonna butcher what he said, but uh, he said along the lines of like, if your blood is thicker and your blood pressure isn't moving well, that could lead to a stroke. And his father had operated on people with COVID, and they had slushy blood, so the two could be related. But the point is, he collapsed on stage, went to the hospital, tested positive for COVID. It looked like he had a stroke. He was talking on stage, leaning on the chair, and then he said something mumbled. He said something that made no sense. He said something like, green beans and sassafras. I don't know what he said. Sassafras. <laughs> Some, it sounded like sassafras. I just bit my mouth. I almost gave myself a stroke right there. Oh, um, he said something, and then he started to collapse. And then there was a hero in that audience, 
There's a dude in the first row. I think it was an audience member. And I think he noticed that he was having a stroke. And he was already out of his chair when he was just mumbling. And then as he was falling back, he went back and caught him. Like a hero. Just ran up there. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, some people just have the hero gene in them. Because I would have seen that. And I'm like, oh, he's mumbling. He might be having a stroke. But I wouldn't leave my chair. Because I don't know if it's like part of the show. And then in my head, I'd be embarrassed if he wasn't having a stroke and he was just setting up a bit. And then I ran on stage to go catch him. He's like, what are you doing? And then now I'm just like the point of being made fun of for the next 40 minutes. Because my dumbass went up to go save a comedy legend, even though nothing was wrong. <laughs> that guy was a hero. I don't know who that guy was. But also on top of that, it shows you how comedy clubs aren't prepared for any like performer to get hurt did you see what they did he collapsed and they just drug him off into the green room that's all they did they just drug his dead body off into the green room there's nothing back there by the way even the best green room it's not like there's a there's a first aid kit back there there's nothing in there but an old cheese platter cheese platter some grapes maybe some cold uh, uh mozzarella sticks that's all that's back there and they just dragged him off into the... Like, there's an ambulance waiting. And there's, like, a, the comedy club doctors back there with the stethoscope and the zappers. You know, the... Clear! They don't have any of that back there. It's just a... Just a... Just a dusty mini-fridge with some bottles of water in there. <laughs> like, that's... I was watching that video, and of course I make it about myself, because I do stand-up. And I'm like, dude, if that happens to me... Like, the two ways that I could die based on how much I travel. And hopefully I get to live a long life, but I want to do comedy until they throw dirt in my face. And the two ways, I'm either going to die at a Hampton Inn, or I'm going to die on stage and they're going to drag me. And I'm going to, like, the last breath of me will be on the dirty carpet of a comedy club green room. <sighs> Going out like my heroes. I just hope someone's there. I hope if I ever go down, there is some hero in the first row that notices something's wrong with me and bolts up to come get me. So at least I don't bang my head in case I do survive. I don't need a concussion to go with this stroke and COVID. So yeah, D.L. Hughley went down. And then Jimmy Kimmel got busted. Jimmy Kimmel's situation was a little different because Jimmy Kimmel got in trouble, in case you don't know. He got in trouble... Uh, for saying the N-word and doing blackface in a Snoop Dogg sketch, like a comedy sketch that he did in 96, and then another sketch he did in 2003. I don't know what the sketch was. If it was my guess, maybe Carl Malone. He used to do a Carl Malone impression where he put on, it was blackface, is what it was. And uh, he would do a Carl Malone impression, so he's in trouble for that, which I, I get it. That's offensive in 2020. We live in modern times. We have people protesting out there. There's black people getting shot and killed by uh, by police officers. And that's been happening for years. But now, thanks to phones and cameras, we now get to... we The rest of the world actually is privy to this information. So by today's standards, what Jimmy Kimmel did in 2003 and 1996, not all right. But... Is it fair to judge art or comedy or entertainment by today's lenses? Is that fair? I, I don't think it is. I think you have to judge it by what was acceptable in 1996 and 2003. 
Now, was blackface accepted and acceptable in 1996 and 2003? I don't know. From what I remember, I, I guess it was because Robert Downey Jr. did blackface in Tropic Thunder, and that movie came out in 2008, like a big production movie. And now people are looking back at it going, that was not okay, but apparently it was in 2008. So is it fair to do that? I don't think it is. I think... Because that's a... That means everything's... I mean, if you want to go back and be offended by everything that's ever been made, we got a lot of work to do. Pull out your laptops. We got a lot of blogs to write. I'm going to give you Sanford and Son. One of my favorite shows. I was a big... Uh, I don't know. And this goes back to me talking about how old I've always been in my soul. In middle school, my favorite uh, show was Sanford and Son because I found out about TV Land and they played Sanford and Son episodes one after another. Loved it. Fred Sanford, stand-up... Uh, first of all, his name's Red Fox. Red Fox, stand-up comedy pioneer, legend. Uh, played Fred Sanford. That show's uh, as racist as it could be. I think in the first episode, his Puerto Rican neighbor comes by and says, Buenos dias, Senior Sanford. And then Fred Sanford goes, ah, beans and disease to you too. That wouldn't be accepted today. That's not accepted. That wasn't accepted 10 years ago. 20 years, maybe 20 years ago, I guess you could say it. But times have radically changed as to what's acceptable and what's not. And if we start judging people that are alive today and making a living today based on sketches they did 20 years ago, I don't I don't know if that's fair. I think we have to... And this is just my opinion. Please don't make me trend on Twitter. <laughs> just, just an innocent opinion by a doofus who has a painting of his face behind his own face. So, I feel like you watch the entertainment or watch the sketch from 1996 and understand that, yeah, in the scope of that era, this was accepted entertainment. And now we know that it's wrong. And then, I don't know, maybe appreciate how far we've come and yet how much more work we have to do. But for the people that are so big on destroying others that did something that was very public 25 years ago and then now want to hold them accountable for something that was very public 25 years ago, it's just that the people that are holding them accountable weren't alive or were too young to know that that existed. I don't think that's fair. And I think you might be setting a precedent that you might be guilty of 20 years from now because you have to understand when those things were made people didn't find them offensive or at least no one around them said that it was offensive or at least they felt comfortable doing it and then now i'm sure i don't know what jimmy kimmel has, has had to say about it but i'm sure he's apologized or said wow yeah hindsight being 2020 how wrong was that but I think we're setting a scary precedent, and I think the people that are attacking guys like Kimmel and whoever else gets busted for doing something, you know, very publicly that was accepted then and not now, I don't think they realize that maybe some of the ideas and some of the entertainment and some of the writing and some of the blogs and opinions they have today, some of their tweets might that are very progressive now, they're very progressive and accepting ideas in 2020, they might not be in 20 years from now, or 10 years from now, or even 5 years from now. So you might be the victim of 
you know, oh, I hate using the term witch hunt, but that's kind of what we do on Twitter. You might be the victim of the thing you're doing to somebody else in a decade from today, even though today you think your viewpoints are very progressive and acceptable today, and they are. But when you judge what you're saying today based on whatever the lens is going to be 20 years from now, is it going to be? And do you want, how do you want it to be handled? Are you going to apologize? And will that apology be accepted? Because a lot of times these people apologize and they go, yeah, I did this thing in 1996 that I thought was okay. And then now, obviously, looking back on it, horrible. I'd like to, I apologize if I hurt anybody, you know, they do the thing and then they still want that person fired or ruined or canceled as is popular. And I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a, I I don't, I don't think it's fair, but also the point I'm thinking of is the people that are attacking these people are going to be, how many of them are going to be victims of this in a couple decades when their tweets that were so good at the time get looked at with lenses from 20 years ago and you're like ooh, maybe we should take this person's retirement away i I don't know and at the same token jim kimmel's a beyond millionaire he has more money than me or anybody watching this video combined could ever dream of so if he never gets to make another dime i think he'll be fine i'm sure he'll be fine same with you know chris delia's situation very different uh you know, hitting on, uh, trying to get with underage women, I don't know what lens you need to put on, but I think it's been deemed wrong for many a decades. Um, but yeah, all those people have money, they're fine. Don't go after the poor, <laughs> the poor ones. Let them make something first, then ruin their career, so at least, you know, they can, uh, you know, not have to live on the street. That took a weird detour. But yeah, I think he apologized. There was an article about the man show. Uh, right before I started this, I haven't read the article yet. It just popped up on Twitter. It was on, it was a Vice article talking about, and they were, of, of course, if, if you ever watched the man show, you know that it wouldn't be accepted today. I mean, good. they had, uh, their big thing was like, we have this, we have this, and we have girls on trampolines. They were uh, objectifying women to the max. And this is, I think the show was like in the early 2000s. So I think I watched it when I was like in middle school. And then right around high school, I think it got canceled or something. But they had a couple year run. I was a big fan of the mantra. I, was, I thought it was funny. I was also 12. And it was also 1999. So in that lens, I guess because I was 12 and it was 1999, I'm just as guilty as everybody else because I found it entertaining. And I would stay up late and watch it before... You know, my mom thought I was asleep. I wasn't. I was watching the man show, watching the juggies, watching the man show boys say very inappropriate things as a chubby 12-year-old to grown people, a lot of them women. They were chugging beer, doing a bunch of stuff. I'm sure it was homophobic and transphobic and all of it. I'm sure it was all of it. But it was also 1999 and I was 12. Does that make it right? No. But does it make it 20 years ago? was a while ago we're not putting they're not putting that product out now I, I think that wouldn't even make it to a pitch meeting you know i'm pretty sure if you tried to email whoever's in charge of programming at comedy central and they're like hey i'd like to reboot the man show i don't think you can get very far with that email 
I don't think you're going to get a meeting. I think your email might get uh, moved to junk. I don't think it's going to be good. So it just doesn't seem fair to judge things 20 years ago that were accepted. Granted, they shouldn't have been for the time, but they were at the time. And now they're wrong and they should be wrong. But also think of what's going to be wrong 20 years from now before you go and eviscerate somebody. That seems like a very diplomatic opinion I just had, but I could see this getting destroyed. It's so, it's so you know, you got to be careful. These are people on my side. We all vote the same, but oh boy. What else do we have? Uh, oh, Trump and Tulsa. This hit every comedian specifically hard. If you don't know what happened, everyone knows what happened. Trump had his first rally since the uh, lockdown uh, in Tulsa. And I guess they were expecting like a, something dumb. I don't think. There's no way they expected a million people. But they expected to fill this 18 or 19,000 seat arena. And then they had a stage outside for the overflow. Because they had so many event responses saying they wanted to come. And I believe tickets were free. Uh, so all you had to like do was like RSVP online, like say I'm interested in the event and they're like, all right, we're, we're expecting what? 30,000 people, 20,000 in the arena. And then another five to 10 outsides. Maybe they're expecting like 25,000 people. Like it's a bunch of K-pop fans, which that sentence alone might be obscure to a lot of you. K-pop is Korean pop music. It's taking over the world and they have a lot of fans and apparently a bunch of K-pop fans. Uh, decided to prank the Trump rally by RSVPing to the event. So then event organizers thought there was going to be like 20, 30,000 people coming. So they're like, oh boy, we're going to fill the arena. We got to do something in the parking lot. And then come day of the show, only 6,000 people show up, which is hilarious uh, for people that are against Trump. And uh, I, I guess it's funny, even if you support Trump, it's just funny. Yeah, you know, they thought all these people were going to show up and it was a fraction of that. But there's two groups of people that probably didn't think it was funny. Uh, Trump supporters that really love him. And comedians. Even comedians that don't like Trump have been there. Where you set up a show, you make the Facebook event, and there's 400 people interested. 150 people saying they're going. And then the day of the show, you sold 50 tickets. And you're like, what happened? I'm not a fan of our president, but I felt for him on that night. I felt for him. I felt for him. I've been there. I've done, I've done shows in San Diego, album recordings, where I'm like, all right, this Sunday, album, and then we got tickets moving, and people seem interested. I'm like, all right, you want a packed crowd because you're recording your new album, and then Sunday comes around, or the Saturday comes around when you're supposed to record, and you look outside, and it's raining, and you check your phone, and the forecast says it's going to rain all day. This might not make sense for anyone outside of California, but in San Diego, when it rains, your event is essentially canceled. We don't drive in the rain. It is scary. And I end up showing up to the club like Trump did, getting off his helicopter, just his ties undone. He's holding his hat, his number one foam fingers dragging on the ground. I feel for him. Even though I don't like him, I get it. You're expecting 30,000 people and 6,000 show up. It's a good prank. It's a good prank. I'll give you that, K-pop fans. It's a solid prank. Please don't do it to comedians. I'm saying it was a rough week for comedians. D'Elia, D.L. Hughley, Kimmel, and Trump. For those of you who say he's not a comedian, watch his speeches. He gives people nick. He does a roast up there. 
He's like roasting his opponents. How's that not comedy? He's in the comedy realm. He's in the realm of comedy. He gives everyone a nickname. It's either pro wrestling or stand-up. He's in that... He used to be a reality TV show star, all right? If he didn't run for president, he'd be on tour right now uh, performing at stand-up comedy clubs. That's what he would do. Like the rest of, of uh, you know, reality TV people whose careers ended. They'd, be, they'd go on tour, live events. That's what he'd be doing. Let's finish this off. Oh, this is the last thing we'll talk about. My childhood... Uh, my childhood at the age of 33 has officially died. The Undertaker, uh, professional wrestler, if you don't know, you should know. Undertaker, everybody knows The Undertaker. It's like if you don't know Monster Trucks, you know who Gravedigger is. That's who The Undertaker was to professional wrestling. It's like on the level of Hulk Hogan. People that have never watched a pro wrestling event in their entire lives know who Hulk Hogan is. That's how it is. You don't have to name a single Elvis song, but when you see his dumb snarled lip you're like i think that's elvis that's who the undertaker was to professional wrestling played the dead man i actually have him on my coaster right here oh zoom in on that there you go speaking of hulk hogan and the undertaker uh yeah he um i almost talked about him like he passed away i almost said he passed away he didn't pass away he retired from the uh wrestling ring Maybe a few years too late, you know? Maybe he should have retired 10 years ago, around the time the Man Show was still on the air. No, 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 20 years ago? No, 10 years ago. Around the time Robert Downey Jr. did Tropic Thunder. was should have been around the time he should have started reeling it in, or at least thinking about it. But The Undertaker had an amazing career. I remember watching him as a kid. He used to scare me. Uh, I used to think he was cool and give me nightmares at the same time. That's a special dynamic to pull off in a child to have a kid go wow that's really cool and then also to have nightmares of the undertaker breaking into your house or like coming out of the grave it's cool i remember the first time i went to wrestling was it? yeah the undertaker was who did he wrestle boy i don't remember but i remember the undertaker coming down the aisle i was 10 years old we were sitting on the floor probably a few rows back and you see the Undertaker, he's like seven feet tall, 6'10", 6'11", 7 feet, what's the difference? Point is, he's walking on the floor, same level as all the fans, and he's like, all the fans are here, and he's like, shoulders and head, that's how much taller he is. And he just like floated in. It looked like he floated in. Like he came straight from hell, and just floated in on the clouds of doom, and went into the ring, and I, he just, goosebumps, man. Goosebumps watching that guy just make an entrance. And in the early part of his career, you know, he played the dead man gimmick, so he didn't, if anyone hit him, he wouldn't sell it, he wouldn't react to it. Every time he fell down, he'd sit back up and just keep coming at you. It was very cool. But then as he got older, he actually started wrestling more. So in the beginning, maybe his matches, you know, technically weren't that great. I mean, it's not like we were watching Ric Flair and uh, Ricky Steamboat, you know, trading arm drags for an hour. It wasn't like that, but it was more the aura, the spectacle, the event that is The Undertaker. And then later in his career, he had excellent matches with Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, uh, Shawn Michaels, the, the two WrestleMania matches, 25 and 26 with HBK, and then the two after that with Triple H were really good. He had some great matches with The Edge, and all throughout, like from 2000... 
I don't know, like 2001, 2002, all the way to 2012, I believe. Even his match with CM Punk, whatever year that happened. He had excellent wrestling matches. 30-plus years in the business. Uh, they had a great documentary on him on the, on the network, which I still need to watch. I know I'm a horrible wrestling fan for not already watching that. But he retired, and that, uh, that officially my childhood dead. He retired on Father's Day, 2020. And I remember watching Undertaker wrestle. When did I get into wrestling? 92? I believe 92. Yeah. I remember one of my kids in my kindergarten class had the Undertaker action figure. And he just, he scared me in action figure form. I was like, what is that? And they're like, that's the Undertaker. You need to check him out on wrestling. And I did, and I was hooked. And so long, Mr. Undertaker. Thank you for all the memories and all the great matches and what was the best Undertaker match I saw live? 2008, I went to, it was a pay-per-view event here in San Diego. Uh, I, forgot the, I forgot the name of the pay-per-view event. I know that I went with Bob Hansen, fellow comedian friend of mine and part-time pro wrestler, who I wrestled. If you look up Zoltan versus Bob on YouTube, you might find yourself a wrestling match. Uh... We went to that after training for our match. We went and watched the real guys do it. And The Undertaker wrestled Edge that night in like a tables, ladders, and chairs match. And I remember the match ended. He was, I think at the time, Undertaker was well into his 40s, if not late 30s. He was older. And he was on top of this big-ass ladder, and they tipped him over, and he fell off the top of the ladder out of the ring and through a bunch of tables. Amazing. Amazing. That was probably the best Undertaker match I saw, him and Edge. Um, yeah, thank you for the memories, Mr. Undertaker, and, uh, best of luck into whatever the hell it is you do after this. I don't think you have to do much. I think you've made enough money to enjoy yourself until they throw actual dirt in your face. So, bravo to you, sir. I think that's going to be the show for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening, downloading, subscribing, doing all that you do to be a part of it. Uh, thank you to all the Cat Person members. I want to see if I can pull up the cat person level people right here in the studio. Can I do that? Maybe not. Maybe I have to go over here. Uh, bear with me. Bear with me or turn it off. That's all your, <laughs> your call. That's your call. Why are you even on the wrong network? There we go. Whatever. Thank you to all the cat member people. I'm going to read off the names after I turn off the camera. So for all the podcast listeners out there. But if you do want to support the show, here it is. It's coming up. If you do want to support the show, become a member on YouTube or at the very least subscribe. There's three different tiers, buck ninety nine, four ninety nine, and nine ninety nine, each with different perks. Uh, so thank you very much for, for doing that. Here we go. It's coming now. It's I figured it out. I'm still like uh, I told you I'm old. Like I'm not old in age, like numerical age, but I'm old in technological age and 
sensibilities. I'm an old soul, as they like to say. I think I go here, and then I go to studio. Then I go to monetization, memberships. Cat person level. Give us the names there, son. We got Joanna W., Renea Spaulding, R.C. Woodshop, Craig Rappaport, Judy Dean, J.D. Kinsey. Uh, that's Jonathan Kinsey. Um, Ema Catherine Maya, Marilyn R.X., Diana Norton, Laura Rolfson, B1 Bailey. Her name's Annette. Uh, there's Susie. Susie's there. Uh, Jamie Bassett. Mary Garrison Quay, Amanda Scharfenberg, Elaine, Elaine in 1960 at Live, Jing, Yom, Sarazanto all the way in Australia, uh, Tat P, Alan Nugent, Laura Hornsher, and Danny Cox. Thank you guys so much for being uh, a member of the cat person level. Now go support. All right, I think that's it. I think we did it. I'm going to end the stream and end the podcast. How about that? How about we do that? How about we talk next week? I can tell you how my life's going. You can do the same, even though I won't hear it. Why am I so bad at ending the show? End the show. End the show. I'm ending the show. Here we go. I'm, I'm still recording. I'm ending the show. <laughs>